Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And we are here in a top secret underground dwelling near Guest Family Barbecue today. Um, we do have Reed Guest on with us. Howdy, Reed. Hello. And we're going to get started here in just a moment, but we do want to talk about our giveaway. Um, we have a winner for the Brotherton Black R- Iron Barbecue. Right. We, got, we had a lot of entries, uh, did a random generator because we weren't going to pull names out of a hat for this one. Uh, the winner is at Bojet, B-O-W-J-E-T. We'll be reaching out to you. I do not know your name because it is not on your Instagram profile. But we will be reaching out to you via Instagram, direct message, and all that good stuff. And we will get that gift card to you. Uh, please enjoy it. Um, spend as much money as you can at Mr. Brotherton's establishment. Uh, so thank you for entering, everybody. If you didn't win this time, we have another giveaway to announce that uh, you guys can hopefully win. Brian, you want to... Tell the listeners what yeah, they are bidding on today. we got a gift card today. for Truth Barbecue coming up. So follow our Instagram and find out about the details on that. We'll tell you how to enter on the Instagram account. That's Tales from the Pits. There you go. That that announcement will be live right about the time this podcast launches. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Enter to win a gift card to that little shack in Brenham that makes some tasty, tasty smoked meats. All right. Now let's get to the task at hand here. We just finished up at... Uh, at guest family i uh, had a nice sampler plate let's talk a little bit about that yeah the uh the barbecue was excellent we had a little bit of everything we had uh moist brisket pork ribs pulled pork um chicken coleslaw beans um grits and what else did we have burn ends in there and the sausage Oh, oh, yes. the Oh, gosh, that cheesy, wonderful sausage. Um, and as well as the pickled condiments and accoutrement and all of that fun stuff. But it was really, really good. Um, nice cold day outside. So that was... <laughs> it's not a nice cold day. So that was fun. <laughs> but we, we made day. sure to take our video and pictures of obnoxious things quickly so that we could eat the barbecue. And it was really, really good stuff. Um, if you're in Waco or even if you're not in Waco, you need to get out here because um, they're doing some, some really good barbecue down here. Um, you can stare at the people in the Magnolia Bakery line while you eat your barbecue, which is kind of fun. And later on, when you need something sweet, you can stand in the line, because even if you're full, by the time you get to order, you might be hungry again. Yeah, just be aware that's a long line. It is a long line, yes. Uh, my wife was joking about wanting me to go there, and I told her it would be the longest line we stand in all day, and that includes, uh, we went to a few places on this trip, uh, Snow's, Louis Miller, Taylor Cafe, and then to Guest Family. But... Uh, yeah, get out to Waco. Give it a shot. Um, it is really, really good stuff. They are open. Reed, you want to tell us your hours? Sure, yeah. We're open uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, 11 a.m. until we sell out, which is typically, you know, 2, 2.30. Um, after the uh, beginning of the year, we are going to add Wednesdays as well, so we'll be open four days a week in January, starting in January, but... Awesome. All through the holidays, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Outstanding. And you'll be open, um, as you mentioned, the holidays, you'll be open in between Christmas and New Year's? Or right, yeah. Right? So the way Christmas falls at the beginning of the week, uh, we're just going to kind of keep our normal schedule. And Okay. Well, good to know because, yeah, I know a lot of places are having different hours with the holidays. So uh, if you're looking to get, if you're in the Waco area or if you're looking to get out to Guest Family Barbecue, they're going to be open their normal Thursday, Friday, Saturday hours through the holidays. So. Um, get up here, eat some barbecue. But uh, yeah, we, we've been wanting to get up here for a while. It's been on one of our top to-do lists for a long time. Um, and we're glad we finally got up here. Uh, Reed's got a really interesting history through barbecue as far as, you know, how, how you got into it, uh, where, you know, how you got to where you are now. Um, so let's let's get into that a little bit. You, uh, you grew up in West Texas, I understand? I did, yeah. 
I grew up in a town called Jayton, Texas, which is out in between Lubbock and Abilene. Um, town of about, I think it was 600 people whenever I was living there. Uh, I think it's down to 400 or so now. Um, but yeah, super small town. Um, my dad was the welder in town. He was the guy with, with the welder. Kind of everybody did one thing, right? So he was the welder. a pretty valuable thing in West Texas. That's yeah. right. That's right. And, you know, there was no sort of um, corporate anything in our town. Nothing. Not even not even Dairy Queen. Nothing. <laughs> wow. If you're a Texas town without a Dairy Queen, yeah, you're Yeah, usually really it's, it's Dairy Texas Queen, town. and then it's Sonic, and then mm-hmm. and then I don't know what's in between there and Walmart, but that's no, kind there, of... Well, there was a day when I was in high school that they came and took the, the yellow flashing light down. And it was like, <laughs> well, that's all we had, you know? Um, so, yeah, I grew up there. I lived the first 18 years of my life there, and, and because my dad was a welder, he was uh, the guy who could build pits, which is kind of, you know, the only way to... Out there in that in that part of Texas, like if you're gonna cater something, you kind of have to do barbecue because there's not like a big catering company or you know you have to get them to drive from Lubbock or Abilene, which is expensive. So we you know when there was an athletic banquet or a golf tournament or somebody was getting married or whatever it was, we just by default became kind of the unofficial caterers. So I grew up around barbecue. What were you cooking back then? A little bit of everything or a little bit of everything. I mean, we almost always did brisket. Um, my dad has an insane way of cooking brisket. It's really good. I've never even attempted it because uh, it's just so backwards and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but we made mostly brisket. We d- would do steaks, you know, and stuff too if, if that's what people wanted. But it was always on some sort of big repurposed metal thing that we had. And was it offset cooking then? Because I know a lot of West Texas has been like live fire coals and mesquite and things it like was, that. It was. It was. They, we always used offsets. Okay. Um, Almost always out of out of propane tanks that we made out of propane tanks. Um, sometimes we'd find a big giant piece of pipe or whatever. And, and the thing is, every time we would build one, use it for a couple of jobs, eventually someone comes along with the checkbook and goes, <laughs> "Hey man, how much for the smoker?" And so those were the days when propane tanks were actually cheap. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. They're, they're, Everyone wants to build pits now, so they're getting right. more expensive. So, yeah, so tell me a little bit about. Um, my brother's told me some stories. He, he's a welder about cutting into propane tanks and uh, any any interesting stories of. I have those days? I have no interesting stories about it, but uh, uh, I guess the only thing I have is that my dad, even though I'm I'm 35 years old and have built almost as many pits as he has probably, because it wasn't his main thing. He welded mostly, you know, plows and tractor zip broke or whatever um he still won't let me be the one to cut the first the first it's cut the first cut yeah, yeah. and i mean you know, he's like i'll do it i'll do it i'll do it i'm like no come on it's my pit it's for it's for you know it's for the trailer we're building these pits i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it. he's like no but i have one out there that i'm about to build my third pit and it's not cut at all yet <laughs> and he's not in this town so hopefully i can if he listens to the podcast he's gonna race on over yeah and cut right. before you could get to it. I don't, so i've heard I, fill, I, him, fill him with water fill him with soapy water and Right. Yeah, there's all kinds of kind of remedies for it. I the best thing I've found is just to keep searching until you find a really old tank that's been sitting around, you know, open for a while. Cuz even more than the danger of cutting into it, it's like the residual smell right, of it right, later. Right. So, yeah, we always try to find really old tanks that are you know, haven't been in use for propane in a long and time. And it seems like they are getting a little harder to find as I've looked on Craigslist just poking around the value of the even the used tanks has really gone up a lot it, it has gone up a lot and the thing is everyone knows that uh not everyone is 
is kind of maybe technologically savvy enough to do the Craigslist and all that. If you go to a small town, you can probably hit up the Dairy Still Queen or the yeah. Sonic or whatever <laughs> and be like, hey, who's who's the guy with a bunch of, of crap in his yard, you know, and he's probably yeah. got a tank. Maybe so not after this podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I just gave away the you secret. Yeah, don't, don't, go, don't start clicking on the internet trying to find old propane tanks. Stay out of the small towns, people. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah, for the pit to, master. Yes. <laughs> go to a Dairy Queen. So, uh, so growing up in West Texas, you, you had the welding background, the barbecue background, but you didn't immediately go into barbecue as a profession. You you went to culinary school. Was that straight from high school? Uh, it wasn't. I, I spent a couple years trying to fake it like I could actually go to real school. I went to <laughs> West Texas A&M. Uh, did some time in Bryan at Blinn, Blender Garden, mm-hmm. as they called it, I think, when I was there. Uh, it just didn't work out for me. Yeah, that, you know? That's the just, other school. In, the other in, school. Yeah, the other right, school out of Bryan. The one without station. the amazing meat department. Yes. Um, so yeah, shout out. Uh, shout out. All right, perfect. Um, I tried to do that, and it just didn't work out, you know. And I ended up just getting some, you know, random job as pressure washing. Ended up running a pressure washing company for this guy, and that what that did was it ended up putting me back into a kitchen uh, because I was doing vena hoods. So at the end of the night, everyone's gone. I'm waiting on the chef to finish <laughs> whatever so that I can get in there and just destroy his kitchen while I clean. <laughs> The Venahoods, and it was great money, and it was I, you know, I loved doing it. It's such a rewarding job to go into something just gross, and when you leave, it's perfectly clean. Uh, so that kind of got me back into kitchens, and then you know, one day I just kind of had enough of the dirty grease that wasn't necessarily my mess to clean up. <laughs> even even with the the job paying me to do it, it was like yeah, I'm kind of over this. So I decided to get back into cooking, and I went to culinary school in Minneapolis. Um, which is where Le Cordon Bleu came from Paris to Minneapolis. So they still had all the very old school French instructors there. Um, Not so much, you know, kind of like what they have or had before, you know, all the crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, I guess it was 15 years ago when I went. So um, got through culinary school, didn't love Minneapolis weather. um, And the the winter was awful. Summers are bad too, actually. I've been there in the summer. People say everything's bigger in Texas, and that's mostly true, but the mosquitoes, <laughs> and, and I was, of course, like, oh, whatever, you guys haven't been to Texas. I've seen big mosquitoes, and as soon as one lands on you, and, like, you feel it, but, you know, <laughs> like, you can actually feel it land on you, you're like, oh, okay, this is actually a bigger mosquito. Um, so I came back to Texas as soon as I could um, with a culinary degree and, you know, just ready to go. And what was your intention? What type of dining? As fine as I could do, just as as fancy as I could possibly get. Right, right. So you've been I, learning from the French, like everything. Exactly. So I found the only French restaurant, which was <laughs> Aquarelle. Uh, at the time, this is you know before Austin had every single thing you could imagine. It, um, the only true, real French restaurant. They didn't want anything to do with me, you know, because I had no experience except this barbecue, you know, which I wasn't necessarily even putting on resumes and stuff, um, because it wasn't a real business, you know. Right. It was just, um, so. You're braver than I. When I finished culinary school, I didn't want to see French food again for years. <laughs> right. That's cooking, eat, eating it, anything to do with it. Oh, I was I was really into it. I still am. I still am. Um, but I ended up finding a home at the Roaring Fork in Austin. Uh, this chef just kind of took me in and taught me stuff, taught me how to manage people and manage a kitchen and manage products and, you know, kind of the real way to cook and or at least how to manage a kitchen. Um 
and I thought I had it made and I was in line to be the next exec uh, when they open a new location or whatever and then one day I went and ate at Perla's uh, which is on South Congress and it was sort of like being a minor league pitcher and not knowing that there was a major league you know I thought I would really found this place that was making excellent it was really good food but then then i found this whole other level of like whoa they kind of like a dickie's pitmaster going to franklin or something <laughs> right but <laughs> never knowing but never yeah. knowing that right it, but that never it, knowing there's a franklin yeah. or anything else besides dickie's exactly oh, so God help them. um that kind of made me reevaluate that should i be an executive chef because i'm eating food right now at a restaurant that i'm not sure that i could make you know so i quit there uh, after five years and started at Perla's as a saute cook again, just started over at the bottom. And Perla's is the same owners <clears throat> as Lambert's. Um, it was there. That's all they had at the time. They have like seven or eight restaurants now, but, uh, at the time they just opened, the chef needed my help. So, you know, I started working there as a saute cook and it wasn't two or three months before the, uh, the sous chef at Lambert's quit. I hear that through the kitchen, you know, I'm like, oh, ooh, I can actually, I actually know some stuff about barbecue. I'm tired of my hands smelling like fish all the time. So, <laughs> um, so they happily moved me over there and that started my kind of career because it was so long at Lambert's. I was there seven years, something like that. I think it was a little over seven years when it was all said and done. And I ran the kitchen the last three of those years. Um, just worked my way up from grill cook to to run in lambert's and then let's, when... let's talk about lambert's a All little right. bit because not not everybody um is familiar maybe with lambert's and how they're set up um you know becoming popular right now is nighttime barbecue or um dinner barbecue yeah, sit down barbecue you know right. table service with waiters with servers and things like that and that wasn't that's not the barbecue a lot of people grew up with but you're seeing that more um Delta Blues, uh, Papa's Delta Blues. I don't know the official name, so I'm going to butcher it. It's but Papa's Delta Blues Smokehouse. There you go. Papa's, if you say it right. <laughs> that place. Wait, there a whole episode about Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we um, didn't say we got them all right. Yeah. <laughs> STQ is obviously STQ another one. STQ is another um, one. Um, there's, I mean, Beavers, the is which, one. which Reed was talking about off air. Beavers is another one that's that's uh, a sit-down restaurant that serves, that has a smoked focus on their menu um that's increased over the years they've always had some sort of barbecue on their menu but uh the last i'd say two years since arash got there um it's really kind of grown and so where i think that's kind of the main focus of their restaurant now um but you didn't see that a lot when and even when there's well, say so even there's a hybrid at gatlin's um is served on on plates with knife and fork right and, and they've hired an executive chef now and it's yeah. not just you know it's not just straight barbecue pulled off the pit sliced and go Killings at dinner service. I mean, it, it's it really is a big wave that's coming. But one of the very first was Lambert's, um, and I and I think it took a little while for people to get used to that because the the price is more expensive. Plus, um, we were talking before the show. You mentioned that the to go price was different than the price to sit in. So, kind of explain a little bit about that service model and what makes it different and and what made it successful as well. Well, I think you know for me. What made it so different at first was it was like, here's this barbecue. There's a guy cutting brisket right here, but right next to him is someone that we're calling chef, right? That's not the normal thing. And what definitely wasn't, you know, 10 or nine years ago, whenever this was. Um, so, you know, to me being, having a barbecue background and then going to culinary school and experiencing kind of both of these worlds and then finding myself in this 
kind amazing. of you, you uniquely qualified for that exact exactly. job. Exactly, and I was just, and that's what I thought to myself. Like, how how perfect is this place where I can, you know, as a young cook wanting to be a chef, I was thinking I can wear a chef coat. I can be called chef if I make it to the top of this kitchen. You know, I can have all those things that I just kind of broke into. And then also, I already, you know, I already know this barbecue thing a little bit. Anyway, at the time, I, I thought I probably knew more than I did. But um, so for me, it was just the perfect fit. And, you know, for Austin and for downtown Austin especially, it was also the perfect fit because you have all these, you know, people that want to eat a, a unique Texas meal. Be very adventurous. Right. Austin and if you, if you walk out within food. two or three blocks of Lambert's, you're going to smell smoke and it's good post oak smoke and and people love that and people flocked to that place and they they did so so well they do so well still i mean it's just it's one of my favorite places to go in austin still um but yeah they were definitely kind of having to educate people i guess about what they were doing um which we can talk about in a second i kind of feel like i had to do here too because there wasn't a true you know, by the pound place here. But anyway, they, you know, they came out with this fancy barbecue concept and it just took off. And, you know, every single part of everything they do is the best that they can. They don't take any shortcuts. It's Larry McGuire and Tommy Mormon are in those restaurants every day. And up to the day I left when they had, I think they had seven restaurants when I left. And you know, I still saw them every day. Wow. But I also had the freedom to make any special I wanted every day. Um, so it was like they were always there, but they, they were two owners that actually trusted their chef, which doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> there was no micromanaging happening. I mean, it was just a really, really wonderful place to work and I still miss it. Um, so I worked at Perla's and Lambert's and then after I gave a notice at Lambert's, well, I gave them a month notice, I ended up staying for two. <laughs> That's how much I didn't want to leave, even though I had made the decision to do this thing and that, for and myself. That was, yeah, and what was driving that decision? Um, kids, you know, just growing up and, and kind of... life is hard. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I, I, didn't all, I didn't necessarily have that dream of, of being, you know, white coat chef anymore. It was just like... The, Things changed. What was important to me changed. Traffic um, in Austin. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make stuff up. It was totally the traffic. It was like, yeah. Um, but I, know, I grew my up wife, in Austin, and it's yeah. What used to take me 30 minutes now takes an hour. Right. Plus a lot more frustration. And, and then when you get there, the there's a line coach. to get in. Yeah. Right. yeah. So. Wagons. So my wife is from Waco, and her family, whole family, is still here, and so we've spent holidays and birthdays and whatever here. Um. And I've always thought it's a really nice place. I mean, it's just a good place to be. But every time I come here, there's nowhere for me to eat. <laughs> and especially nowhere to eat great barbecue. Um, the Fazoli's wasn't like on your list of stops. <laughs> I, man, no. No, I don't know that I've ever even been to Fazoli's, so that might be unfair. I, <laughs> I, I have been. And they, it's not unfair? No, no. I, it's, it is what it is. But, um, you know, it. Yeah, there's, I, I, there's not a whole lot of fine dining right. around here or elite or um or barbecue or there's barbecue. Not a whole lot of barbecue there's a little well, bit yeah and there, there definitely wasn't a a chef that i felt like i needed to work under here so it's like okay if you know if we want to move our family out of austin we want to come to waco kind of a smaller better school kind of place um you know am i going to go just work for someone else there because 
I have this really great job here that I love and don't even want to leave. And I have these great bosses and, um, but then we, you know, the more we thought about it, the more I was like, but barbecue, but barbecue, barbecue. <laughs> and uh, so much of what I did at, at Lambert's wasn't barbecue. So, you, you know. Well, that's what, the one thing I was curious about, um, how was barbecue, how was Lambert's received, like, in the barbecue world? Like, because I know a lot, a lot of pitmasters talk to each other and, you know, and, and develop these great friendships and things like that. Was Lambert seen as barbecue among, among the barbecue world, at least in, like, what you heard I have, the tea leaves, I have the best story about this um so first of all i'll say i i don't i don't think so um there i, I wouldn't say there are any employees uh there when i was there even the owners aren't concerned with that sort of thing that's not what they're trying to do their goal is not to be top 50 they were for two lists i think the whole time i was there we were on the list it was great um but I think, you know, the rotisserie pit, the Southern Pride pit plays a lot into that. Um, you know, there's not necessarily someone standing there with a shovel all night doing it the hard way. Um, so, yeah, in the barbecue world, I'm not I'm not sure that that they uh, were kind of one of the guys. I never felt like one of the guys. I, and the I, great to be story, honest, I don't I, I don't remember ever hearing your name. And, yeah, totally. You know, and it, it's become a celebrated position now, right? It's become iconic where you've got the pitmaster who sets apart from the restaurant if it's not named after them a lot of people know the pitmasters now and it, it's really changed some of that social media and, and the publicity behind it but um, but yeah as, as far as comparing that to you know joe schmo's barbecue shack mm -hmm. it just didn't have the same romance even right though, no and i was only called a pitmaster one day a year when i was there and that was at the festival you know, that's the only time I'd ever said pitmaster next to my name. And I, I would definitely not say that, that that was my, you know, main focus. It was running a, a really busy, high-volume kitchen, a high-end kitchen. I mean, we sold as many ribeyes as we did briskets, you know. Um, but the great story is, uh, the way I, I can kind of answer that, no, we weren't part of the team, we weren't one of the boys, is the first time I ever met Tootsie from Snow's, uh, was at the festival and this is I'm kind of ashamed to even share this but she walks up to me and she said hi I just wanted to come meet you on Tootsie and I was just like okay hey I'm I'm Reed you know just kind of went back to work and it wasn't until a couple of years later when I kind of <laughs> really got into this whole craft barbecue not barbecue wasn't just a thing it was like a real passion I'm like oh my god that was Tootsie <laughs> and I, I didn't blow her off I didn't you know but I kind of did, you know, and it was uh, when I realized that I was like, there's this whole other world of people who really know about barbecue. And it was just it made it even more interesting for me. But, yeah, the first time <laughs> I ever met her, I was just like, yeah, well, OK, whatever, lady. And, like, and what a sweet woman that is. And I have her picture on the wall of the food trailer. And it's not because it's not because uh, I want to be like her. or She's my role model. It's to remind me of that story to remind me that like every person that walks up is is important or they may be one day or maybe you just don't know they are yet or you know just it's just a constant reminder of when your your location close to the university you you genuinely might have kids today that you know grow up to be somebody pretty famous that's exactly right and being this close to the silos is you know every day i feed people from at least five to ten different states um lots of different 
countries. Yeah, you're a lot of people's first taste of Texas barbecue. That's right. That's yeah, a, that's to talk cool. about this. Yeah, this location. No I mean, pressure. Or anything. Yeah, was this was this was intentional to be in this spot? I would assume. Not really. Not really. Totally no. unintentional. Because <laughs> it's it's a great spot. It's yeah. maybe the best spot in all of Waco, um, as far as I'm concerned. If you're you know, if you're not inside the silos, which is guaranteed business all the time. And the silos are. Uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines from Fixer Upper. Yeah, I, I, I know their names, people. I know. <laughs> I, I have a wife. She has watched the show before. Um, but they are. They have it, or they had a show. I think it just ended on HGTV, um, fixing up, remodeling homes, and things like that. And they got really, really famous from it. Um, I think they have like a product line in Target now and this and that and the other. They're very, very well known. Um, if you don't know about them and you're listening to the podcast, then you aren't dating anyone. Um, <laughs> but had over 2 million visitors to the silos last yeah. year. Yeah. And, and so they're, they're home and they're based out of Waco and uh, they have a shop and bakery and their headquarters or I don't know what all you want to call it uh, is about a stone's throw away from Guest Family Barbecue. Um, so it's a prime location that the tourism influx in Waco because of Chip and Joanna Gaines is kind of amazing. Um, yeah, this, this whole area, I, I have family, my, my uncle and uh, cousins are from here and um, the Waco I remember is nothing like this part of town at all. Right. It's very different. Right. No, it's getting, it's getting uh, very Austin-y around here. <laughs> which like, is, I just moved away from this. No, well, and, and, you know, going back to talking about Lambert's, first of all, it's like watching Tommy and and Larry go from one restaurant in a in a town that was about to blow uh, to more restaurants. More you know, more, the more people that moved to Austin, the more restaurants they built, right? And they were all really really good. So it's like I've kind of seen this happen, and I was lucky enough to be able to kind of go through a, a growth in a city. So a lot of, not, I won't say all of them, not even close to all of them, but a lot of the decisions I have to make as far as where we go, what we, where we put ourselves and kind of branding and that sort of thing, it's a little bit like deja vu. It's like I've, I kind of know what move to make right. on a lot of things because I know what's happening when younger, maybe hipper people start moving into a town and spending money. I, I've seen it happen before. And yeah. so it's, it's really a blessing to be able to you know, have that experience. Uh, but yeah, so we're right across from the silos, and I'll I'll serve a ton of people every day that that aren't from Texas, uh, that don't, that maybe have never even had barbecue, whether it be even any region of barbecue, but like never had any. And so I would imagine that educating the customer has got to be a really big thing for you and your staff as far as making sure they know what Ordering a quarter pound, pound is, what yeah. a half pound. I mean, so many people. That's it's a, it's a real adjustment to them. It is, and it's a definite adjustment uh, for Waco too, not just the tourists. I mean, there was no, there is no, other than us, there's no like by the pound kind of barbecue place here. Honky Tonk Kid is a couple blocks away, and he's, he's, I think, does that, but he has a lot of sandwiches and stuff too. But there was no, there was no like close today. chopping right. block, you know, you buy the meat, we give you the bread kind of thing. There, and so it's been rough. It's been rough, but it's been rewarding, and it's working. Um, and I have so many uh, loyal regulars that come now that when they came, they first came, they just looked at the menu like, "So where's the barbecue sandwich?" 
Um, and that means a lot to me, you know, if I'm, if I'm, yeah. well, if I'm teaching about that somebody is, about it, then that's great. Right. And if you teach those people, then if they bring their friends with them, they can then teach their friends, okay, this is about how much you want to get. And, and they do. And it's so great when they do, because <laughs> it, it just helps us right. in the trailer. You know, it's like one guy will be like, oh no, I've been here before. Like, this is how you order. Yeah. It's the barbecue version of you teach a man to fish sort of thing. Right. You know, if, you, if you teach someone how to order barbecue, then they can teach someone how to order barbecue. And then... But the best, I think the best thing though about being in Waco, other than, you know, kind of filling a void that I, I thought the town needed, I feel like the town needed good barbecue, whether it's mine or anyone else's. People need a good barbecue. It's just part of life. <laughs> we agree. Um, right? Yes. Um, the most rewarding thing, the best thing ever, is when a, a Wacoan comes to me and they've lived here their whole life and they sincerely like look me in the eye and say, thank you so much for, <laughs> for bringing barbecue here. And, and there are people who do what you guys do, go around traveling, doing all these runs, and they're like, you know, anytime we get in the car to do a barbecue run, it's an hour before we have barbecue. That's weird. You know, especially when we're sitting right here between Dallas and Austin and Houston, for that matter. I mean, we're right in the center of all of this, and there's just nothing. We're the crossroads. I mean, I. It's not an accident that I'm that I'm in Waco. Uh, aside from my wife's family being here, which is great, but I, I think it would have been a great idea anyway, just because. I mean, we all know that Daniel Vaughn lives in Dallas, and we all know how much Daniel Vaughn is in Austin. <laughs> What better place than two blocks off in the I-35 to put a barbecue joint? And, you know, that definitely played into our choosing this location. But even more than that was the guy who was a regular. And when we needed a new location, he said, please, please come to my place. I want to have you there. Uh, I was like, oh, man, that's going to be crazy expensive with the silos. And he's like, well, we'll work it out. We'll work it out. So we did work it out. And it's a, it's a really great deal. So we have... Maybe the best location in all of Waco, in my opinion at least, and and probably the best price on that location as well. So, <laughs> it's uh, it's brisket's gotten me a long way <laughs> in this town. And, and let's talk about it. You talked about um, you know having good barbecue. You've gone out. You do your own sausage. We'll talk about that. Um, Forty four farms for your meat. You're not. It's not just any old average meat that you're buying. You know, you wanted to go in. Your prices are set for that price and for that meat. Um, what what was behind some of those decisions? I mean, is it just it, you want to make sure you're serving the best? Is this what you like? Is it because um, I'm sure that was a shock as well? Like like how fatty the brisket is here oh, yeah. compared to where what they were oh, used to. Oh yeah, yeah. And can you cut that black stuff off for <laughs> yeah. me? Like yeah. what? Where uh, did I work for that black stuff? <laughs> yeah, well, and that and a lot played into you know my decision to go kind of that local route with all of our food. Um, a big part of it was just kind of my habits from being at Lambert's and they always tried to, of course that place is so busy, not everything can be local, but we tried as, as much as we could, especially with the daily specials. So it's just kind of a habit uh, to, to look for local things and, and I've been using 44 Farm Steaks at Lambert's on our menu for a really long time. Um, the first brisket I ever had of theirs was one that I cooked, like I never had anyone else's 44 Farms brisket. I thought I had messed it up it was so good you know I, I i was like i did the same thing i do to all my other briskets it's just salt and pepper but this thing is maybe twice as good as as the other brisket i used to cook last week you know so um that was a no-brainer and it's 
45 minutes away from here as those cattle are grazing. So that is a huge selling point for people who care about that sort of thing. And people who don't, they get really good brisket either way. So right. well, and, the, and the people that do, it's a growing number, I think. It is. And, and I think your target market around here are probably the younger generations, you know, then I think the younger yeah, generations are caring more. more and more. They want, they want a story behind their food. They right. really do. They you want know, to know. Well, and there's appreciation that goes with that. You know, if, if you know where your, your food's coming from, we've talked about that before in the podcast. And we joke sometimes about, you know, here's the date your cow was born on. <laughs> it's like sunny days and long walks on the beach. But, but it is true. The, the more connection you have to it, 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 barbecue itself is very sensory. And we, we've talked about, you know, you, you want to touch it with your hands. You don't want to eat it with a fork, right? And all of that transcends the work that you do and, and knowing as much as you can about the background of the animals. Um, we know Evan Leroy and, and like Peaceful Pork and, you know. And he uses 44 Farms 44 as well. 44 Farms, right. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that that's, that's shifting. Um, and you know more about the background and, and your sides as well. And we can talk about that too. But um, it there it. There's a meaning and there's a reason behind it, and it and it's not just a, you know, it's not just so you can have this little story behind the food. Um, I think you feel better cooking it as well. It, it I do feel like, better. I feel like it's a it's a little bit more worth staying up all night, four nights in a row for. Yeah. Well, um, now that you're staying up all night, like you like you said, you went backwards through the barbecue trend. You I went did. from a more streamlined <laughs> process that was not as as labor intensive. What uh, so when you decided that you were going to leave Lambert's, you're going to do this. From day one, was it, okay, now I'm going to build my pits, I'm going to do this, the for lack of a better term, old school way? Was that the you know, plan from the get-go? It was the plan from the get-go to, to do everything old school. Because I, you know, I kind of been doing the trendy foods, maybe not with barbecue at Lambert's because they had it set before I even got there, but with the specials and stuff, you know, we had been doing really trendy stuff, trying to keep up with what was going on. And so it, it almost felt like it was going to be refreshing to just do do a few things and do them really really well and I knew that staffing would be tough here in Waco because you know like I said earlier with a town you know that's mostly fast food chains and and it's getting better for sure there's there's a lot of great things about to happen in Waco but um with those chains it doesn't come a lot of very you know really talented cooks now there's a there's a culinary school here and there you know um, hopefully good things are coming, but I Culinary knew that school should be like a job fair for you. Like, right. <laughs> right. Sometimes it can be a bad thing though. I mean, you win, I guess, you know, that yeah, you, yeah, yeah. there were probably people in your class that made D's and they still have the, no, even, yeah. even, even some of the ones that pass with flying colors, you wouldn't want to cook for you. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But I knew, there's you know, nothing worse than a culinary graduate that had really good grades because they already think they're ready to be the executive chef of a restaurant. <laughs> So my, my main goal was to build a menu that I could execute myself. Um, very quickly, I found that sausage was killing that dream. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about sausage. Because um, so, that, that's, you weren't doing that at Lambert's, I assume, or were you well, guys doing sausage? Well, I, I did. We did a lot of, of specials with it. But also, when I started, and especially after I t- kind of took over the whole kitchen, I... I made sure that I worked everyone's shift. Um, so my smokers are named Javi and Ramon. That's after my two prep cooks at Lambert's because they did so much for me and they made everything. 
Javi's still the greatest sausage maker ever. He can do it. I mean, 50 pounds in an hour done from, from whole pork. What's his number? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I'll sell it to you. I'm sure I would have a lot of, uh, a lot of people mad at me for that. But, um, so sausage was, was killing the dream, right? It was just making it to where there was, it, it took a long time. And especially when I needed about for the two days at that time, we were open two days. Uh, I needed about 40 pounds for those two days. Um, and I had a five pound stuffer say, that's a, a lot of sausage and to make a $99 grinder from Academy. Um, because other thing I, I felt like other things were more important, I guess, when I, whenever we were kind of making the budget and spending everything on it. Yeah. Uh, spending my whole, <laughs> everything <laughs> on this place. But yeah, so, uh, Aaron. Aaron is, uh, we always say he's my nephew just to make it easier, but he's actually my wife's cousin's kid. So, nephew. <laughs> um, he expressed interest in working in the food trailer when I was kind of telling the family, like, hey, I think we're actually going to move here, and I think I'm going to do a food trailer. It's probably going to be barbecued. He was really into it. He's 16 at the, or 15 at the time. And said, I, work, I really want to work there. If you can. I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. So when it came time to kind of start that first week, it was like, okay, we have a, a trailer done. We have the graphics on it. We have a location. I have a menu. Let's go out to the commissary kitchen and start this, start this cook. We're going to start this venture. We're going to start cooking, you know. Uh, he just showed up and didn't leave and got really into it, and especially the sausage making. So it was kind of a no-brainer. I have this one employee who is 15 and I don't even have to pay full price, you know, we give him some money and and whatever, but, um, I have, there's only one person to choose from and sausage is his favorite thing that we do. So here we go. So I, you know, a little bit at a time started teaching him how to make one. It's it's a unique sausage. It is. um, It's not a jalapeno cheese. It's a it, it does, it's, it's a Chipotle it's, chatter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and um, one of the things I, I, we've talked about a lot is that a lot of times the jalapeno cheese, there's just too much jalapeno for mm-hmm. most people. Um, then you have to run two different kinds of sausage and everything else. And there's a lot of cheddar in there as well. Um, is it, it's a blend of pork and beef? It is. Yep. It is. Um, and then, yeah, so it's pork and beef, uh, Chipotle. We put a lot of French's mustard in there um, and some dry spices. No garlic. It's important to me um, just because I like to eat sausage and that's the end of it. I don't want to eat sausage. You don't want to burp up garlic for yeah. the rest of the day. So have you, I don't. have you had the East Texas sausage, garlic bombs? Yeah, but that's different. That's <laughs> like, you know, you know, you're getting into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you sign the waiver on that one. You that's know, for sure. Yeah, you know what you're getting into. But yeah, it was a really good sausage. It was really, like you said, I love when we get that one bite that you can't get anywhere else. Right, right. And, and this sausage was definitely something we hadn't had on any of our other trips um if you're a fan of really good cheesy sausage that's just got a lot of flavor in it wow uh, yeah please order that when you come here and it is cheesy we have a separate cutting board for it (laughs) it's not everyone wants cheese all over their their and that obviously raises the manufacturing cost because cheese is not cheap it's not it's not at all even cheap cheese is not cheap yeah um and of course don't want to use that um, as much as we put in there. You know, we don't. Want to and I, I think some people may not realize that either. Is that, you know, there's there's a lot of different kinds of sausage, um, and craft sausage 
artisan sausage, whatever you want to call it, that's using, whether it's the trimmings from, from your brisket, your brisket's not cheap either, um, but it, it, a good sausage is not cheap to make. And uh, there are, you can make cheap sausage, and there's a lot of it out there. Um, and that's one of the reasons, other than the, the pure art of it itself, it's one of the reasons why I really like sausage is because you can go a lot of places in your sausage making, but you can really, on the, uh, it's kind of like fine dining, right? There's a, two different kinds. And at the same time, we had a lot of fun at, at Taylor Cafe today. You know, Vinsel Mayer's turkey sausage, which yeah, is a very, the it's most a very basic, basic sausage, sausage you're yeah. ever going to eat, but it's still a good sausage. And you, you appreciate the, the history of those, ty- you know, of that style of sausage right. too. But it's priced at a different way for a different reason. Right. It, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's made for, you know, for the working man to come in and just grab a quick roll up and go on about his day. And it's been that way for 50, 60 years. Um, One one other thing I'd like to talk about are the grits. So when we had those, they're not your normal grits. Um, We knew a lot of work went into them to to describe them. I mean, very coarse. There's actually chunks of corn that you can see in there. Yeah, you can see little little chunks, I guess, is probably an overstatement because you're not going to bite into a, a kernel of corn, but you can definitely feel the texture of corn in there. As opposed to, you know, grits can tend to be soupy if overdone and a little mealy if it's just, you know, the, the instant grit or the, you know, the Quaker oat version of grits. But these grits were, uh, you get them... Uh, Damn good. Very, very good. <laughs> well, uh, thanks. Thanks. Locally? They are. They're, so they're milled here in in, uh, in this county. So uh, I even used the, these grits, the same grits, when I was at Lambert's. Um we were using a company out of Tennessee or, or, or Georgia or something that closed. So I had to look around and find something. And then we found Homestead uh, Gristmill, which is here uh, in Waco, uh, just right outside of town. Uh, so it was just kind of no brainer when I moved here, like well, I'll just keep using the same amazing grits. Um, I don't do a lot to them. It's just, uh, they're good already. We, yeah, yeah, you we, don't need to do a lot to them. We they're... cook them in milk. Um, in the winter, I toast them a little before they go into I, the milk. I said it tasted kind of smoky, like they had had some kind of... Oh, and then that's, yeah, that's the other thing is I don't have an oven. I don't have a stove. I don't have anything but pits. And a, and the end of my firebox, when I cut it off to make a door, I saved that, that kind of bowl-shaped thing and that's my that's my entire range that's everything so i make beans on there i make sauce on there i make grits on there so they are you know they are going to get some smoke flavor because everything everything we have is powered by by fire i don't have a single gas line going anywhere it was was really good the the entire spread that we had today was really good we we really like the way that you do the pulled pork um it was uh not your your standard pulled pork it was it was more Pulled and chunks and the way we and, like it, yes, yeah, hand, yeah. hand pulled and chunky, not uh, not shredded. Yeah, it actually and, got some texture yes. to it, and then the flavor was was just killer. So well, that's kind of always been my the way I've looked at pulled pork. It's like it's called pulled pork, but that doesn't mean I have to pull it. Like you pull it, I'll give it to you. You pull it, need it. If that you know, it makes it better uh, to not shred it up before service Weird, or whatever. Right, so plus, there's just something great about. Oh, uh, half pound of pulled pork, great. And you just kind of reach in the box yeah. and just baseball <laughs> out of there, just boom. And uh, I don't know, it's it just seems seems better. And I don't know, maybe that's the, the Texas style pulled pork. It should be anyway. Yeah, I know we were big fans of it. Um, we're winding down here. Uh, I know you have got somewhere important to be, so we do not want to keep you from <laughs> that. Um, a 
couple more quick questions. One is as far as food truck, we, you know, we've talked about in Houston how tough of a food truck city Houston can be. Um, you're ironically you're wearing an Evie May shirt, and that's mm-hmm. one of the big things we talked about with Arnis was they ended up in a suburb of Lubbock because they couldn't park their truck in Lubbock. How is Waco as a food truck city? Has it been a, a, a struggle to make sure that you're meeting all the requirements? Or I would say it's not a struggle at all to keep keep it going. Uh, they they put a lot of uh, regulations and and codes and stuff in place uh, to make sure that just not everyone opens up a food trailer because someone told them that their food is good and you should <laughs> open a food trailer. Like, they make you work for it. You got to want to open a food trailer in this gotcha. county. Uh, there are a lot of hoops to jump through, but it's nothing unreasonable except for uh, the commissary kitchen law uh, because, you know, a year ago there weren't that many food trucks, meaning there were definitely not commissary kitchens. And so what I ended up having to do was, and this is from the advice from the health inspector, was like, well, I guess you're just going to have to, you know, ask restaurants if you can use their space. I'm thinking that, man, I just quit a job as a chef. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine if someone walked into Lambert's millions <laughs> so, yeah, of dollars a year your, in sales and said, can, I, can you just clear that shelf and that part of your walk-in? Yeah, and I'm going to be in here. I know you didn't train me, I, you know, but I'm going to be in your kitchen putting everyone at risk. Like, I would have thought it was a joke. I mean, that's insane thing. I, th- I thought it was so insane that I literally didn't even ask a single kitchen manager that. Uh, what I did was I, I took to... Google Earth, and I started looking at uh, images of Waco, and I know from cooking and I know from cleaning Vina hoods what one looks like on a roof. <laughs> so I started finding places that weren't necessarily restaurants, but had one of these things on the top, and started visiting those. And I went to a, a uh, like a play a place that does theater, like they would do plays, and they had all of their costumes hanging on in the Vina hood, <laughs> not being used. But and I was able to find a place through. Google Earth. Wow, wow. that's like a MacGyver <laughs> way of no. getting around the food. Well, truck. I was there. There was no other way. I mean, I was. Right. I had this trailer that was. It was beautiful. I think you guys would agree that's a good looking trailer. That's a good looking <laughs> uh, Shout out Tanner Freeman at Do <laughs> South. He did all of our our uh, our logos and stuff, and he's just amazing. Uh, but I had this trailer that was beautiful. I had filled it with stuff that was going to make this seamless service where we could really pump out a lot of food, especially for a trailer. Um, I'd done all these things. Uh, I had I had cooked for people doing caterings. I started to get the name out there, and it's like, okay, well, I can't get a a license to operate, and I have every single thing except for this commissary kitchen, which I don't even need, actually, because everything's you know, cooked in the pit. Anyway. Everything's cooked in the pit. Also, quickly found out I really need commissary kitchen. It was very important, uh, just because of storage, cold storage. Like I can pump a lot of hot food out of that trailer really quickly but you have to receive it all at once so you know briskets are big ribs are big pulled pork your pork butts are big it's barbecue is not easy to to stuff a lot of it anyway to stuff into a trailer so you know we've we've always had to be pretty creative that's why i love the winter because you get more time on everything like a a yeti's (laughs) basically a refrigerator uh for for a few hours anyway uh, but not in the summertime you know it's it's right. just a race all the time in the summer to to get your product from the the delivery truck to your fridge or from the store a lot of times to your fridge um so it's you know it's it's not hard to keep a truck going but it, it they do make you want it they make they make sure that you're for real 
I guess that's not the that's not a bad way to go. It's about not it. at all. I don't. I think you're safe eating at any food trailer truck in this town for sure, uh, because of those. So the uh, so you know obviously the food truck is doing really well. You guys are in a wonderful location, um, but one thing that we've heard from many many people that have operated food trucks is their ultimate goal is to not be in a food truck anymore. What is is there? A, an ultimate goal for guest family barbecue is is a brick and mortar something that you hope for down the road or do you uh it'd be hard to get a better location than when you're at right now that's for sure if all if, yeah all those things are true it's uh you definitely don't want to be in a food trailer your whole life it's a lot of things are a lot harder um it was a goal of mine of course to to have my own restaurant um and I did the trailer route because of the reason everyone else who wants a restaurant does the trailer route. It's cheaper to start. Um, but within the past you know, month or so, uh, we've been working out this deal um, with some guys and it's kind of just come to, uh, it's actually gonna happen. So um, we'll be signing papers and officially releasing news very soon, but uh, just kind of general, general news is by this summer we'll we'll be in a building that doesn't mean and i don't know what i'm gonna do with this trailer because the building is only about five block four four or five blocks from here um so i don't know it'd be weird to have two two guest family barbecues so close together but i know that this place is great for something we'll do something um but yeah so the the building has started on the brick and mortar and awesome. I'm, I'm in the yeah. every chef's dream right now which is where you get to just shop for a, a kitchen <laughs> equipment uh it's it's amazing it's it's everything i thought it would be just like oh i could get this and then, you know um it's it's been great and like i said earlier i've gotten a lot of stuff here either given to me or, or kind of made more available to me because of of the barbecue that we're putting out and this is no different this is the same same case like somebody came by enough times and loved our food so much that they're like this guy needs a restaurant let's let's do a restaurant so very soon and it's going to be quite large not a lot of other details i have to build new smokers uh can you notice yourself I really want to. I mean, I did these Listen, myself. That didn't sound like he <laughs> did. No, it's just time. You know, it's yeah, just so yeah. much time. And I'm already going to have to close the trailer for, I mean, I would say at least a month just to train, be higher, and then train. Staff and, then and everything, yeah. Fire slash they quit and then hire a new staff. And, you know, it ta- I've opened a lot of restaurants. I know it takes a lot. So I don't know if there's going to be time to build because I think I'm going to need probably three, at least, probably three 1,000-gallon smokers. And that, you know... That would take me a while to build. Couple but of pit there's builders no in, in this state. You know? Yeah, they're they're great pit builders. But the thing is, I'm I'm not sure if I'm willing to give up my design, uh, which isn't necessarily my design, but it, I feel like it. I mean, I built it. Whatever you know, a lot of people have the same design as me. I might say, uh, I definitely didn't invent it. It's all about airflow and everything. But um, I'm just not sure I have the time to to build four pits but i think i'm going to because i don't there's no one else i would want to want to buy it from I, I those moberg ones are so pretty though oh, yes, yes. They are. see I, I mine are not like that mine are built I, first of all no one ever taught me how to weld i started welding because my dad 
made me do the grinding. Okay, your welds are functional, and you're probably more of a grinder than a welder. So yes. ugly, though, right? My welds are so ugly. Mover has like beautiful, perfect stacked dimes. Stacked dimes underneath where he's gonna cover it up with insulation. They're like no one will ever even see that. It's, you know, and the grinding and the polishing and the oiling and all that stuff. Not the way I build pits. Not the way I've ever built pits. I think they're so beautiful, and they're and I know that they work because I've seen them work. Um, but again, there has to be. It goes back to the connection to the food the way you plate your food and, and we're running out of time so we can't really talk about that but you it, whether it's a chef background or not you absolutely know how to plate your food and that that's important um, but it's that if you build your own pits there's an absolute connection of what you took a vessel and you turned it into a to a machine well, it's that a commitment using. to the whole process yeah. of, of you know how it's cooked what it's cooked with what it's cooked in the type of product, how you plate it how you serve it how you treat the customers that's right yeah and it all ties together you yeah, know? it does and it's just as rewarding as one might think to uh, to build your own pit out of you know start with nothing and you have this giant thing and then it starts working and then you put meat in and it actually cooks it and then it comes out and it's really good and all you did was put salt and pepper on it trim it up a little bit it's like wow I built this oven that you know giant oven that is powered by smoke it's amazing and it's and now i get to stay up all night tending it <laughs> yeah which never gets old and i've never taken for granted one time i'm i'm three weeks away from uh barbecuing every weekend for a year um which was just a very very short goal for me it was just like what would it you know what would it be like to because at lambert's my job was so much more you know like i was saying like what's kitchen. it gonna be like to just put on a, a barbecue every weekend um and I'm three weeks away from a whole year, so it, I, I never take it for granted, and I I make sure that people know that I'm I'm never like oh, I gotta stay up again, <laughs> you know like what a what an amazing dream job to be able to use things that you made to to make this food, um, and and make barbecue for a living. It's just really really amazing. I never take it for granted, and I, and I love when people ask me who built your pit. That's the best. <laughs> I built it. Which is the thing yeah. the first question Brian asked when we got here today. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's usually either who built it or, my God, how long is that? Thing? That's usually the, the first. That's first every thing. man's favorite question. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we found this really crazy tank that's 19 feet instead of most 1,000-gallon tanks are 16 feet. So it's it just looks really long. Yeah. And it is really long. Yeah. And it is hard to get heat 19 feet away. Uh, but, you know, different zones for different meats. It's fine. It works. It yeah. works really well. There you go. Not a mover. I mean, like, like you know, you're wearing you're wearing Evy May shirt and like harness. I mean, his pits are, are almost bizarre they're how so unique cool. they are. They're so but they're cool. incredibly cool, and he knows exactly how to cook on them. And so, and that's all he's cooked on. So he, he can't go away from that mm -hmm. either because he knows what it is. And I, again, it, it's part just like the the art of sausage, the art of pit making. There's so much art in this world, and and it's amazing to be able to take a product, you know, like you said, uh, what 45 miles away. Mm -hmm have that product come here go through something that you built and then serve to customers and and you know you're touching it you're slicing it it throws on their plate they touch it and there's a connection between all of that and then it's a huge connection because i you know other than the other than aaron making the sausage uh, i literally make every bite of food that we serve myself all of it always have I've had some caterings where I had to call in some friends from Austin or whatever, come help me out. This is, this is a big number of people, but um, still every weekend, every bite of food, every shred of cabbage was cut 
you know. Yeah, we know about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cutting yeah. cabbage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did get a mandolin. I'm not like I'm not knifing <laughs> we did it too, over but here, we still, but yeah. we still knife it up. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to like Sam's and getting the bag or whatever, or you know, training someone else to me. Right. I tried that. I really did. I tried to train a couple people to do prep and it. Right. Well, you're eventually gonna have to let some of that go in the restaurant. I know die. my my business partner Gene is is just so it's probably the only thing he's worried about with this this restaurant is um how how are you gonna let go how are you gonna you know yeah, you, you how are you gonna function when you have to he was insane yeah. he's been asking me for to add Wednesdays forever and I'm like Gene I I mean I I don't go home when the barbecue's cooked I stay here and slice it all and then we clean the trailer and then I trim briskets and I put them on again so. If, Right now, three times in a row, as soon as briskets come off, I put more on. And there's no relief. There's no, like, somebody coming to do the rib shift later tonight, you know. I, but I have timed. I've, I've worked on it really hard to time it where, you know, I can get briskets off by 10 or 11. And I don't have to start the rib shift, which I still call it, yeah. uh, till 2. Um, so that's a nap. You get a nap. That's right. And that's about all that I get for the, the three days in soon four that will be open so well read we thank you for the time and the food it was wonderful um obviously the the, the news on the new place is fantastic yeah. and we look forward to thank you thank you i'm Absolutely. really excited really really excited about we'll, it we'll be back out here probably sooner than we even expected to before we came out the first time um less than a minute from the interstate so yeah we'll, we go we'll get back out here <laughs> and and obviously if uh, you're listening to this podcast um we highly recommend you get out here too um, come see it before it becomes a big, wonderful restaurant. So you can see it in its original food truck days, and then you can come out to the restaurant hopefully this Please, summer. I remember when out. he was on the food truck. That's I, right, I have, yeah. I have one tiny thing, too. I feel like I have to say this because of the, the audience. So when it's cold outside, that makes the best barbecue. So just because it's cold doesn't mean you shouldn't go stand in line at a barbecue place. Because I, at least in my experience, every brisket I've ever made when it's cold, it's better. Cold and wet. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's so it's so weird for me. The last two weeks, it's been cold, right? So we're you know we're we're doing great and we're we're having fun and we're making great food. But so that would mean you can move back to Minneapolis and make the yeah. best barbecue. Ever. <laughs> That's too cold. <laughs> and they freeze on the smoke. Well, yeah, really? when, yeah, yeah. When, when there's just, ice covering, I feel the like not enough people know that cold weather makes really good barbecue. You guys were saying you were at Snows earlier, and the line wasn't insane. Right. Two yeah. weeks ago, it was. So right. it's got to be that, I and mean, it's not the barbecue. We know that. Right. So if I had any anything to to give anyone any advice about barbecues like go to the place when it's cold because that guy stayed up all night in the cold to make it right and you might not have to wait in line as long as right. you can when it's probably, warm. Yeah. so it's, yeah. it's actually a good chance to get barbecue that you don't want to wait in line for you might not have to wait as long a time and yeah the uh the cold night definitely produced some good barbecue today so thank you for that and thank you for the time and obviously we uh we look forward to seeing what's coming next in guest family barbecue great thanks for coming to waco thank you